So I remember well when Beth and I were very, very young, just married, and we decided that we were going to buy our first house. You remember when you bought your first house, if you have, uh, what a blessing it is. We were very young, hadn't even gone into ministry yet, uh, but we, we found the house that was just what we wanted and just within our price range, and so we went to buy the house and completed the transaction, and I'll never forget this about buying that house. I remember when they turned over the key to us and said, well, you know what? You've, you've made the down payment. You, you, you've, you've made all the arrangements. And, and so the house is yours already, but not yet. As a matter of fact, we had to wait a few weeks for the seller to get their things together, to find a spot to, to live and to move out of the house. And so even though the house was ours, we couldn't enjoy it yet to the fullness. It was ours already, but not yet. Well, we're going to talk about that idea, that subject for a little bit today. You're familiar with that thought, right? How something can be yours already, but not yet. Maybe Christmas, you know, as you get older, not so much when your little surprises are wonderful, but as you get into your children get to be teenagers or you get to be adults, the, the package is under the tree and you already know what it is, right? Because you picked it out, you chose it, you, you may have even bought it, but you wrap it up. It's yours already, but not yet, not till Easter, till Christmas day when you get to open the present. We're going to talk about something in another sense today that also fills that, that idea, that, that this idea of already but not yet. This time, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. We begin today a brand new series we're calling The Cross and the Crown. And maybe you're thinking about, wondering about that, this cross and the crown. Well, very simply put, the crown is going to refer to the kingdom of God. And the cross is going to talk to us or show us that it is a part of the key to the kingdom. And so we have this understanding of the cross and the crown. And it's talked about a lot in the book of Mark. So we're going to use Mark as our resource. And we're going to work our way through this incredible, incredible book and talk about Jesus and talk about the kingdom and, and talk about the cross and, and the crown and, and see what it is that we can learn. Now, Mark is an incredible book. It's one of four gospels, we call them. They're really four books that are given to the, uh, the, the, the titles are given from the author, the, the, the people who wrote them. Um, well, there's four of them, Matthew. And by the way, isn't it incredible that when God tells us of the account of Jesus in his life, when he gives us his words, his teaching, his miracles, his directions, all that he teaches us, uh, all that it talks to us about Jesus in uh, his life ministry on the earth, it would have been great to have one witness, one eyewitness, right? It would have been even better to have two eyewitnesses, but we have four. We have four different eyewitnesses, all coming from a different perspective, all looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through a different lens, and all very important. For example, Matthew, um, he wrote primarily to the Jews, primarily from that perspective, and his point was to show Jesus as the Messiah. Luke wrote to the Greeks. His idea was to show Jesus as the Son of Man, as the, the perfect man who would come as a sacrifice. John wrote to the world. He, he just wrote to everybody. His idea was that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Maybe you're familiar with that. Well, Mark wrote primarily to the Romans, and he was dealing with the fact that Jesus is a suffering servant, a king that is come. Now, the Romans, of course, had their own unique perspectives and their own unique way of looking at things, and, and, and so Mark is really driven to that, and we'll see that as we move through the book. 
By way of introduction, let me just give you a simple little quote from um, Dr. Danny Aiken. He says it so well, and I think it really uh, capitalizes what Mark is about. He said, Mark recorded in rapid succession specific events from the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, to the present, let me read that again. Mark recorded in rapid succession specific events from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ to present the gospel to a Roman audience, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to provide a pattern of discipleship through the model of the suffering servant climaxing in his passion. What a great summary. What a great way to think about this book. Fast moving, so it's very relevant for us today. Very informative and coming from a perspective that helps us understand this idea of a cross and a crown. Now, the Romans had a hard time in connecting those two, right? They had a clear understanding of both and probably a difficult time in bringing those together. So Mark tries to do that for them. Mark tries to bring them to that point. You see, they understood the, the crown. They understood what it meant to be a part of a kingdom, an empire. They were part of the Roman Empire. They knew about King Caesar. They understood that the crown meant power. It meant influence. It meant authority. It meant wealth. They understood all that. Well, we kind of understand that too, right? Because we pursue our own crowns as such. We are in pursuit of those very same things, those things like power and wealth and, and, and influence. We, we understand that and we strive for these crown-like features, characteristics. They also understood the cross. I'm not so sure we get the cross. They understood the cross and they, how they saw the cross was humiliating, <laughs> They, they saw the cross as anything but lovely. They, they saw the cross as something that a criminal bore. The cross to the Romans is, is, is really the, the hangman's noose of one day. It, it's the electric chair to many people. It's the gas chamber. It's the place of execution to the Romans. And so they understood the cross. It was reserved for criminals. I'm not sure we get that completely today. We've glorified or, or beautified the cross, if that's a word. We, we've taken that cross and we put it on necklaces. We put it on jewelry. Um, uh, we've hung, we hang it in our homes. We, we hang it in special places in the room. We give it special um, attention. But in reality, the cross represents submission. The cross represents pain. The cross represents surrender. We have a hard time understanding that. And I think it was evidenced when Mel Gibson first produced his movie. You remember The Passion of the Christ? Have you seen that? I recall when that movie first came out. And when it first came out, people were shocked. People were, were almost turned away from it. They, they didn't want to see it because it was so ugly. It was so painful. It was so bruising. It was so brutal. And yet, quite an accurate portrayal of this cross. Our culture is driven more by the crown than by the cross. Like the Romans in, the, in, in, in their day, we need Mark to reorient us, to reorient our thinking, our way of looking at the world, our way at what the world has to offer, our way of what the kingdom of God has to offer. Mark will make us think differently. And that's going to be challenging for the next eight weeks. What will Mark tell us that will challenge our thinking? Well, he starts with this idea that the kingdom of God... The crown is already, but not yet. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at Mark 
chapter 1. Now, we're going to kind of talk through the whole chapter in a, in a sense, but what we really want to do is focus in on two verses. I'm hoping you'll read the entirety of chapter 1. In fact, I hope you'll go ahead and read chapter 2 and 3 also because you'll get a good feel for the introduction that Mark wants to tell, the early stages of what Mark wants us to see. Today we're going to look at two verses and key in on those two verses. Look what happens. It says, now after John, that's John the baptizer, by the way. We know him as John the Baptist. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Now, if that's a strange word to you, the, the gospel is the good news, okay? The good news. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God. He came saying, God has good news for you. And he's talking to a people, by the way, who could use some good news. He's talking to some people who were oppressed, who were afflicted, who were in bondage, and so they were glad to get good news. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, look at this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now think with me through that just a moment. Those are some powerful, powerful words. Jesus speaks and says, the time is fulfilled. Three things I'm going to show you. The time is fulfilled. The second phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the third phase, repent and believe in the gospel. So let's look at the first of those. The time is fulfilled. Now the Hebrew people would understand. The, the Galileans in the area knew exactly what he was talking about. They had looked forward to a time when their Messiah would come, when a Savior would come. And the purpose of this Savior coming would be to deliver his people, to deliver them from bondage, to deliver them from slavery. At one time, they might have wished that he would come to save, save them from the Babylonians. At one time, it was the Persians or maybe the Greeks, but now it was the Romans. If, if, so, if one would come, if Mashiach, Messiah would come, He's promised to come. The Old Testament prophets spoke of his coming. He's going to come, they said. And when he comes, he'll deliver us from Rome. They're thinking back to their ancient prophets who had predicted a coming king who would come and deliver. Let me give you a sampling of it. In Isaiah chapter 11, the ancient prophet Isaiah said it this way. He said, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Now, you know, I love that phrase. For the longest time, I didn't really understand that until I was in the Garden of Gethsemane one day. I was standing in Jerusalem outside of the city in a garden called Gethsemane, and I looked down as I was praying at a pretty big-sized root or stump of a, an olive tree, and as I looked down, what did I see coming out of that stump? But a shoot. A shoot. Olive trees reproduce so quickly. And so this stump of Jesse, one will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight Who's he talking about? He's talking about this coming Mashiach, this coming Savior, this coming King. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips." Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. What a thought. What a thought. Here is this kingdom. 
Here is this king that has been prophesied and has been spoken of. And Isaiah has been telling them for years. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Later, he would be even more blunt and would say, now this scripture is fulfilled in your very ears, in your very presence. So Jesus is telling us that he's coming, and he's coming as the king. But then it goes on, and listen to the second part of what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, Isaiah also describes the kingdom. And as he describes the kingdom, it is an amazing kingdom. It's an exciting kingdom. It's a kingdom that, yeah, we want to be a part of. Look what he says. He says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Okay, got my attention, right? I don't know if we've ever seen that. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will all be together, and a child will lead them. What a thought. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. And then finally, on that day, the root of Jesse, now we know who that's talking about, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. What a kingdom. Here Isaiah is talking about two things. He's talking about a king that is to come and a kingdom that he will establish. And Jesus comes to the people and he starts his ministry at the very early stages of his ministry. Among the first things he says to them is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, you're, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Eddie. I understand you're, you're saying the kingdom of God is, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, we don't see a lion or a wolf lying down with a lamb. And we don't see a child playing in a cobra's den. Uh, the kingdom we'll find is already but not yet. Let's think about that just a minute. Let's think about what Jesus is saying, and let's think about how it relates to us and what we need to see. We need to see that Jesus came to bring this kingdom to fruition. Yes, he would initiate a kingdom, and he would bring that a kingdom into fruition. And that, my friend, is why Easter is so important. It's important because Jesus is here to establish the kingdom. What we learn is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings the future kingdom into the here and now. He comes, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He later would find himself ministering on the earth, eventually headed to the cross. That was his place to go all along. And as he goes to the cross, he offers his life as the sacrifice for man, rising from the dead three days later. And as he rises from the dead, he inaugurates the kingdom. Author, teacher, some of you read a lot. It's Tim Keller. Put it this way. Keller said, the Bible's startling message is that when Jesus rose, he brought the future kingdom of God into the present. The resurrection began the kingdom of God. The resurrection began the kingdom. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom that had been long waited for with the resurrection. And we know that the resurrection of Christ didn't just make this future kingdom possible. It guarantees it. It guarantees it. Why? 
The resurrection is so powerful to guarantee because we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he made the down payment. He took care of all the arrangements. And then when he rose from the dead, he proved that he is who he claimed to be. He proved that he had the authority, the right, the power, and the blessing that God had given and established for him. It not only makes this kingdom possible, it makes it guaranteed. Paul the Apostle said this. He said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we're of most men, most of all men, most miserable. In other words, without the resurrection of Christ, there is no possible kingdom. There, the kingdom is not possible. All that had been written of it is not possible, but the resurrection made it possible. The resurrection not only made it possible, it made it guaranteed. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus has spoken with his own words and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish. Even if he dies, he'll live again. Because I live, he said, you will live also. That's a promise. That's a guarantee that we are a part now of this kingdom that is established and was established when he burst out of the grave on that first Easter morning. Guarantees our resurrection. Guarantees our place in this kingdom of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but wait a minute, Eddie. I, I don't know. This doesn't look anything like that kingdom. This world we're in doesn't look anything like the kingdom that Isaiah wrote about. No, right now it doesn't. Right now it doesn't. Because sin is prevailing in this place, and certainly we know that this is anything but a perfect world. Even those of you who right now are thinking with your hands crossed, your arms crossed, and you're looking back with your smugness, and you're saying, I don't know about you, the rest of the world, but I'm doing pretty good. You know, maybe, maybe life's treating you really well. I don't know. Maybe you just got the, the, the dream job. I don't know. Maybe you just found a relationship. Maybe you just retired. I don't know. But everything seems perfect for you and your world. But I'm telling you, if you'll take an honest look around, this world is caving in and falling apart. And at some point in time, my friend, I can promise you, if you're here long enough, trouble is going to come into your life. Jesus said to his disciples just before he went out to be arrested, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And most of you who are listening right now know that. Most of you know because you've experienced trouble. You've experienced heartache. You've experienced pain. You've experienced sickness. You've experienced the things that bring us to the point of desperation. You've experienced the depression. You've experienced the abuse. You've experienced a, a job loss. You've experienced the loss of a family member. You've experienced the loss of a child. Just this week, I spoke with someone going through that pain right now. And when your world caves in, what do you do? What can you do? Well, there's hope. And that hope is the resurrection. And that hope is that with the resurrection, Jesus inaugurated a kingdom that's been spoken of for years that is already, but not yet. We have it, but not in its fullness. The keys are in our hands, if you will, but we've not yet completely moved in. In reality, right now, there's a struggle between two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of this world as well as the kingdom of God. 
There's, a, there, there's two rulers, really, too, right? There is God who rules all, and then there's the one who's called the prince of the power of this era, of this world. There's two kingdoms, and they're battling, and they often battle within us, and, and you have to deal with both. You have to deal with the reality of these two kingdoms, and often much of the strife and the struggle that goes on inside of you is this tussling between these two kingdoms and and who are you going to let rule your life? Who are you going to let be your, your king? Who's, who's going to reign in your heart? And, and that often is a struggle between the Lord God himself and between you and your flesh and the enemy that we face. But here's the truth. The truth is we must begin to live under the rule of Jesus, King Jesus, now. Now is the time. One of these days, King Jesus is coming like a roaring lion, the scripture says. The first time he came like a lamb, but now he's coming as a roaring lion, and he's coming as king. But here's the problem. You can't wait for that moment. You need, we need to bow to him and live under his rule now. Today is that time. We need to understand that it's important. Why? Because he's the only one worthy to bow down to. He's the only one worthy to accept our praise. He's the only one worthy to be king. He's the one who is worthy to be ruler of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, when you read through Mark, you find that Mark just continuously gives titles and, and assigns characters of Jesus that are so important. He says that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Lord, that he's the Mighty One, that he's the Worthy One, the Baptizer with the Holy Spirit, the Anointed One. He says he's the Blessed Son, the Beloved Son, and, and he's the one who pleases God. And then he says he it is who brings the kingdom of God. That's all in chapter 1. That's just chapter 1. we got a long way to go. We find even in chapter 1 that Jesus is preparing to teach us so many things and guide us in so many directions. <clears throat> we see him defined as a, a coming teacher, as a, a, a different kind of teacher, a different kind of server, a miracle-working God. And we'll see all of that as we walk carefully through the pages of Mark for the next <clears throat> eight weeks. See, I want to make it clear today, folks, that we're called to follow. We're called to follow Christ, not just in word, not, not just in, 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 in title. We're called to follow in radical discipleship of the one who is our king. We're called not just to be free, but to be freedom fighters. We're called not just as sons but as sons of the Father. We're called to serve. So how do we do that? How do we get to be a part of this kingdom? And how do we come into this kingdom? And, and, and how do we become a part of this whole plan? And, and how do we submit to King Jesus? And, and how, do we part, how do we follow him and, and honor him? Well, let me go back to the text. Because there's one other phrase in the text that strikes us. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, you may have heard those words before, repent and believe. Just because you've heard them doesn't mean you completely understand them. Doesn't mean I completely understand them. I had to think through these thoughts. Repent and believe in the kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Think about it just a minute. The word repent has the idea of turning. It has the idea of turning around, making a U-turn, turning away from a direction we're headed and moving into a different direction. The idea of repentance, when we think about repentance, we think about sin and not sinning anymore. And by the way, yes, that is a part of repentance. And yes, Jesus is all about uh, doing away with sin in our lives. He's all about cleansing sin in our lives. He's all about calling us to turn from our sin. But in another sense, in the context here, he's also talking about turning from one kingdom to another kingdom, from one king to another king. You see, the most of us, my friends, we set up our own kingdom, and we're striving for our own crowns. And I don't know what crowns you're striving for. I could tell you the ones that I have striven for in my life, but you got to decide for yourself. What crowns are you working for? Sometimes we strive for the crown of popularity. Sometimes we strive for the crown of wealth and success. Sometimes we strive for the crown of athleticism or intellectualism or whatever, those, whatever it is in us that, that brings power and wealth and authority. Those are the crown we get and those are the things we pursue. But repentance is turning from that crown and that kingdom to submit to the one who is truly the king and who is truly the crown bearer, and that is Jesus. And we worship him, and we submit to him. Repent, turn, turn away from sin. Turn, turn away from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. Repent, and he says, believe, believe. The idea is their trust. Believe in the gospel, he said. Trust what the word tells us. You know, that's so important. And that's where the cross begins to come into this picture. You see, the way we become part of the kingdom is through the finished work of Christ on the cross and our trust in his work there. You see, we can't buy our way into the kingdom. We can't earn our way into the kingdom. We can't influence our way into the kingdom. We can't cheat our way into the kingdom. We can't lie our way into the kingdom. But we can receive God's gift his gift of eternal life, his gift of sonship in the kingdom. And we can accept and believe his work on the cross, that he, the Son of Man, lived a perfect life, that he might sacrifice for me, that he is the Messiah that the prophets wrote about, and he came for me, that he is the Son of God, that God so loved so much that he sent into the world to save me to save you. He is the king. And through the cross, we become a part of his kingdom, of his reign. We submit ourselves to him. And that's what I'm challenging you with today. I'm challenging you with this thought, one final thought, and that is this. We live in two kingdoms, but we can only live for one. Yes, you're going to have that struggle. You have that struggle. But today's the day to choose who you're going to live for. Which kingdom you want to be a part of. In the coming weeks, we're going to unpack this more and more. This idea of being a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God coming. The cross and the crown. The cross and the crown. What will be your choice? I was so excited when we had the keys to that house in our hand. 
And even though we couldn't enjoy it in the fullness, it was ours. I knew it. We had the promise. We had the guarantee because the the down payment had been made and the arrangements had been taken care of and we knew it was ours. We just didn't have it in its fullness. And the same is with the kingdom. It's ours already. It's been guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been purchased by his blood. The arrangements have been taken care of. We begin now to enjoy this kingdom and live in this kingdom, but the greater is yet to come. There's more yet to come. Most of you know, seven months ago now, I lost my father. My father passed away. When he passed away, the future part of the kingdom began to look brighter than me than ever before, right? You've lost loved ones. You understand that. You understand that. Now I know already, and yet there's more to come. I already have the promise, the guarantee of where he is. And I know that he's in heaven right now, enjoying much more of an understanding of the kingdom than I can ever have down here. I have that now already. But guess what? There's more to come because I'm not yet in his presence. I'm not yet in the fullness of that. But my friends, I believe with all my heart that it's coming. I want you to be prepared. I want you to enter into this same kingdom. What a wonderful day to do it. You know what? There are people right now who are waiting to help you do that. There are people right now online, live, they're waiting for you to just come on to the, the site, click on, and they're, they're waiting to have a conversation with you if that'll help. They're waiting to pray with you if that'll help. They're waiting to answer questions. They're ready to talk. Whatever will help you right now. They're here. We're here because we believe with all our heart in this cross and crown. And that this kingdom of God is not just something way off in the future. It is now. It is all ready, just not yet complete. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the few moments that we've had today. I pray that this uh, thought would be a blessing for folks today and that, God, you would use it multiple times over to glorify your name, King Jesus. Thank you for inviting us into your kingdom. And we pray like you taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen.